Bibles, turn with me uh, into the book of Luke, Luke chapter 10. Going to start in verse 38. <clears throat> Excuse me. Going to start in verse 38. We're going to look at a passage of scripture that is, is pretty well known. We're going to take a look at, at two women. Now, I, I, we're, even though we're going to look at two women, I want to encourage us men uh, to not kind of tune out because this isn't necessarily about two women. I think it's about human nature, right? We're going to take a look at these two ladies named Mary and Martha who happen to be sisters and they both love Jesus and yet their relationship with Jesus is a little bit different. And we're going to take a look at that difference here in this passage of scripture. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. It says this, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. How many of you know that oftentimes real relationships happen along the way as you're doing life, right? And Jesus and his disciples, they're along the way, they're doing life, and they happen to make a pit stop at the home of Mary and Martha. And it says in verse 39, And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha, 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 Martha. Martha gets a bad rap, but she's really not that bad. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister, I could just see her with a little tude, you know, a little attitude. Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work? Tell her to help me. Now she's like, there's an exclamation point at the end of that. Like she's telling Jesus, she's, she's upset. She wants her sister to get up and help her do something. In verse 41, Martha, Martha. You know when Jesus calls your name twice, it's kind of like when your mama calls you. She calls you more than once, you know something's up. Like, you, you, he's, they want your attention. Anytime in the Bible where you see a word used two or three, oftentimes three times, it's like, hey, I want you to lean in here. I don't believe that Jesus just wanted Martha to lean in. I actually believe he wants us to lean in this morning as well. Because if we're going to be real with each other, we all got a little Martha in us, don't we? Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I love that line. There's one thing that's needed, and Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning, your word that is alive, it's active, it's sharper than a surgical scalp. And we pray and ask, Holy Spirit, would you come now with your word and will you do open heart surgery on us this morning? God, we were, just got done worshiping you, saying you could have our hearts. But now I wonder if we're ready for the scalpel. Lord, we invite you to come, cut away anything in us that is in the way of our relationship with you. Cut away anything that is keeping us or holding us back from getting real with you and having real relationship with you and other people. We give you this time together. Lord, I posture myself like Moses, who although he was called to go in and to possess the promised land, he said, I'm not gonna move unless your presence goes with me. God, I don't wanna say another word. I can't preach this message unless your presence is with us. So we ask right now, God, that your presence open up our hearts and minds. God, I ask that your presence would give me the anointing to preach the word that you put on my heart to share. God, help each one of us not to be distracted, but to be present with your presence and to allow you to change us so that we leave a little bit different than when we came in. Only your presence has the power to do that. So we honor you now with our time. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about spending your life on what really matters. Spending your life on what really matters. 
You understand that all of us right now, we're spending our life. Life is actually the greatest gift that you and I possess. Nobody has a free pass in life to know exactly how much time we have on planet Earth, how much time we have together. In fact, um, yesterday I had the honor to lead a memorial service right here uh, about this time. And every time I do so, I try to remind the people as I, I try to remind myself that scripture says life is like a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. And how fleeting time can be and how moments can, we can miss moments, we can miss opportunities and times and seasons that God has for us. In fact, uh, there, are, there are two words for time in the New Testament both written in the original language of, of Greek. One word is the word chronos, which is where we get the term chronological time. It, it simply means seconds, minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years. It's measures of time. But the other word for time is interesting. It's this word called kairos. Kairos. Kairos means a moment in time. It means an opportunity that is in front of us presenting itself in a window or a door that is open, but eventually it shuts. That there are these gifts that I believe that God gives us called time and moments of time and opportunities of time. And for us to recognize when those moments are in front of us. And for many of us, I don't know about you, but one of my, I don't fear a lot of things in life, I really don't. I've got peace. Like, if the Lord were to take me, I feel pretty comfortable with that. And it's because of my hope is beyond this life. Like, I know there's a place much better than this place, as much as I kind of like it here. And I love my family, and I love my friends, and I love this. I don't, I don't fear passing from this life to the next life. But you know what I do fear? Is that someday, if I'm at the end of my life, and I look back over my life, and I have regret because I realize I didn't spend my life on what really matters. I'm afraid in this 21st century culture that we live in that the technological advances and all the distractions and all the things at our disposal to pull us away from what really matters, I've often wondered, are we becoming masters of things that don't really matter? Yeah, I know that we can get to level five on some video game that we spent like five hours playing, and there's nothing wrong with that. I got, I'm, I'm not against gaming or anything like that, but my point is sometimes we can binge watch Netflix for three, four hours. Uh, most statistics and research says that the average American now spends 4.26 hours a day on their cellular devices. And so what, yet we are lonely. We are longing for real relationships, yet we are isolating ourselves behind a little screen. My wife and I, we like to try to get away, especially Saturday mornings. Uh, one of my favorite things is when we get an opportunity to just go out and have breakfast together. We've had, a, we, as pastors, we live busy, busy lives. And, and with our family, trying to keep up with our family and our personal life and church life sometimes is a, is a big and real challenge to us. And to have, you know, real relationship with my wife, um, sometimes we just got to get away. So we go to breakfast, and we're sitting there over breakfast, and I look over at this table, and it's a mom and her son. And they're both sitting there with, one of them's got an iPad, one of them's got their phone, and the kid's playing video games, and mom's like scrolling through Instagram or something like that. And again, nothing's wrong inherently with social media. In fact, social media can help us stay connected with people we love and everything. So it has its place. But I'm afraid its place has become more than its place. And it has distracted us from things that really matter. And so Peter, I love Peter in the Bible. Peter was a man's man. I love Peter because he was raw and he was real. Like, he, you know, you could say Peter had his flaws, and no doubt he did. 
But one of the things I love about Peter in the Bible is he, he just wore his heart on his sleeve. He was, he was real, he was raw, but he was kind of a little all over the place, you know? He was a high in April and shot down in May kind of guy. Like, he was all over. And to the point where, but, but yet Jesus saw something in Peter that beyond what he was acting like on the outside, he was real. And Jesus loves what is real. He said, I can work with real. I can't work with hypocrites. I can't work with phonies. I can't work with fake. But give me somebody real, and I can do something with them. And, and Peter was that guy. And, and, and even uh, Jesus himself would say, um, You're, you are a rock, Peter. You are Petra, and I will build my church on the rock of who you are, your realness, along with the reality that I am the Messiah, that cornerstone truth plus you are going to help build my church. And then yet Peter would deny Jesus three times and almost shipwrecked his faith, took him out. And, and yet I love after Jesus resurrected from the dead uh, during a period of 40 days where he roamed the earth in his resurrected form, there's this story where Peter is like, man, I don't know what's going on. And we all have seasons like this in our life, dark seasons where uh, God isn't speaking. We're not sure what he's doing. We feel a little lost. We're a little confused. We're a little disillusioned. And in those times, we're very vulnerable. We, we, it, those are dangerous seasons. And you have to recognize that we're in transition seasons. And sometimes God is just testing you and testing your faith. Will you trust him in those seasons? And this was one of those seasons for Peter. And so Peter doesn't know what's going on. He's getting a little disillusioned. So what does he do? He does what most of us do. He tries to revert back to his old way of living and his old life, what was comfortable, what was familiar. And he says to the boys, hey boys, it's time to go fishing. And so they go fishing in the boat and these are professional fishermen. They fish all night. And a lot of you know the story and they don't catch a thing. And I think that actually them not catching something speaks something to us that you have to recognize all of us have to recognize when we're in seasons where God is trying to do something new, oftentimes we don't see what he's trying to do. And if we're not careful, we can get uncomfortable in those seasons and we can revert back to our old way of life. But that old way of life is not fruitful. It doesn't work anymore. It doesn't produce life for us. It only produces death. And they fished all night and they didn't catch a thing until Jesus shows up. And he says, hey, boys, why don't you try the other side of the boat? Throw the net over there. And they're like, hey, who are you? We're pros. We've been doing this all night. And then I think something rose up in Peter where he said, maybe that's Jesus. And so they give it a try. They throw the net on the other side. And the story goes, they, could, they couldn't contain how much fish. And immediately Peter knows that's Jesus. And he can't even wait for the boat to go. And he just jumps out of the boat and he runs to Jesus. And Jesus cooks him a meal around a fire. And he has real conversation with them. At one point in that conversation, he pulls Peter aside. He says, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Then feed my sheep. See, three times, just like, G like Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus challenged him, if you love me, I need you to love my people because that's what matters most to me. People matter most to God. It's the whole reason that we're here is because God loves you that much. You mean that much to him. There's nothing in the world that matters more to God than people, than you, than me. The whole book of the Bible is a story about God's great love for humanity and humanity in return rejecting God and God's attempts to reach us with the power of his love. Everything. Christianity. In fact, they, they were constantly trying to trick Jesus and to try, to try to get him to make a mistake or say something that they could really nail him with. And oftentimes they would come to him, teacher, what's the greatest commandment? And, and Jesus would say, you know it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And the second one is just like it, or I would say equal to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You want to know what's most important to God? It's people. It's love. It's that he would have a relationship, a real relationship with you and me, 
where he could love you, be loved by you back, and that through that loving relationship that you would learn to love the way that God loves and you would love people the way that Jesus loved people. That's what really matters. That's why we're here. None of this matters if, it does, if that isn't happening. In fact, John would go so far as to say, hey, you say you love God? Well, if you really love God, if you don't love people, then you don't really love God because you can't love God and not love people. The two are incongruent. Loving God means loving people. That's what really matters. Peter got this because he experienced it. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says this. Most important of all, wait, stop the press, is like the one thing. One thing is needed, Jesus said. How, how many of you remember City Slickers, the movie? I, I remember it very well. I, in fact, I had a Montana, when I first moved out, so I grew up in Yonkers, New York. I grew up on the pavement. I grew up in the streets. I am not a country boy, in case you haven't figured that out. And um, God, I'm, I'm here because God told me to move here. And so I, I've, I've kind of learned, you know, the Montana way a little bit. But when we, we moved here, I got my, my Montana license plate said City Slicker on it. And, uh, and I drove that around. because And I, I love that movie. Uh, Billy Crystal, you know, is the main character. And he's a little disillusioned with his life. So he decides he's going to go out west and do this, you know, uh, Yellowstone adventure or whatever. You know, be a cowboy on a dude ranch for a while. And he's a city slicker. He grew up in the city. And, and Curly, who's the main guy, the old cowboy, rugged cowboy, you know, the Clint Eastwood, dirty, hairy, look on his face, squinty eyes, you know, the, the toothpick in his teeth or, you know, a piece of straw in his teeth. He's that guy. And, and Billy Crystal would ask him, you know, his character was called Mitch. He'd ask him, because Curly would say, you want to know the secret to life? And he'd say, yeah, tell me, I'm looking for it. It's one thing. Well, tell me the one thing. And <laughs> he would never tell him the one thing. But he would say, it's one thing. I believe this is God saying, you want to know the secret to life? It's this one thing. Peter got it. And he's trying to tell us, you want to know the most important of all? Here it is. Continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sin. I love the verbiage. Listen to what he says. He says, show deep love not shallow love like we've become used to man I, I really think that we are so conditioned by our culture and by social media and by um, you know Netflix and all these different things to that we have gotten so accustomed through texting instead of talking through writing emails instead of having real face to face conversations in fact uh, we have gotten so comfortable with digital communication and forms of digital communication that there's a generation that doesn't want to even have face-to-face -face conversations because in a digital conversation, you can control what you say and when you respond and how you respond. But in a real live, real conversation, face-to-face -face with somebody, you never know what somebody's going to say or somebody's going to ask you. So there's amount of social anxiety that is happening in young people in a generation that they're actually losing the art of having a real conversation. And in the process, losing what it means to have real relationships. And let me tell you something. If we're going to love, you actually need to do something. And what you need to do is you need to spend time with somebody. Love equals time. Time equals love. I love this. Time is measured in minutes, but love is measured in moments. I must say that again. Time is measured in minutes, but love is measured in moments. Think about it. If you stopped and thought right now about some of the most meaningful moments in your life, some of the most meaningful memories that you have, are they times where, you know, you, you made a lot of money because you uh, had a big commission check come in from a sale? Was it because the stock went up on AT&T or Costco? Was it, you know, all the hours that you spent at work was it how you were, you know, running around uh, in your busy schedule? No. The, the most meaningful memories were moments that we have with people. 
In fact, some of you might be wondering, why is Pastor Lance wearing a hot chick uh, t-shirt today while he's preaching? And it doesn't say uh, hot chicks, by the way. It's uh, Hattie B's hot chicken, just to clarify. Just so you think your pastor uh, isn't going off the deep end. I don't like love hot chicks. I, I love one hot chick, by the way. She's amazing. But I actually got this t-shirt when my wife and I were on a trip to Nashville. And I hadn't been to Nashville in 20-something years. My wife and I actually went on a, a marriage retreat there when we were still in college. We were married in college. And so that was the last time I was there. But we, we were, man, being, ministry, I think, in fact, I was telling, I have somebody who comes into my office every Sunday morning. Part of my morning ritual routine, if you will, is they'll come into my office about 10 minutes before service, first service starts, and they'll pray for me. And it's, it's a very meaningful time for me, and I need all the prayer I can get to do this. And um, I was telling him this morning, it's like, you know, this, this is a tough one for me because I don't feel like I live this out very well. In fact, this message for me is for me. I said, if there any, anybody gets out of anything, I said, I'm getting something out of this because I need this more than anybody. But I, I, I wear this T-shirt, and when I wear this, this shirt, it reminds me of a moment in time that I shared with my wife. When we were in Nashville, a little getaway, we went to a pastor's conference in Nashville for a couple of days, and um, we, we went because I'm kind of a foodie, so whenever I go to a new town, I'm like, hey, what's the, you know, what's the flavor of the month? Or what is the cultural you know, dish or whatever that people love here? And of course, in Nashville, people say, man, you gotta try some hot chicken. So uh, in case you don't know what hot chicken is, it's kind of like chicken tenders or fried chicken, and they put special hot sauce on it. But it's really good. And so we tried a couple different Prince's hot chicken, and this one, Hattie B's. And I remember my wife and I just sitting there, and we don't get a lot of downtime. So when we have time and we have moments, it, it's special. It means a lot. And so we were just sitting there and having our hot chicken together, having conversations about life and our children and hopes and dreams for the future and about you guys and about our church and and all these things and and I bought a t-shirt there and so every time I, I wear this t-shirt I'm reminded of that moment see moments are a gift from God moments are are kairos moments they're they're windows of time they're opportunities of time just like you're here this morning this is this is maybe for a lot of us a kairos moment it's an opportunity it's a window a, a opportunity for you to connect with god and to to be with him in worship and then to connect with his word to be challenged to to be with other people and to have real relationships with him but but here's the challenge for a lot of us time has a wonderful way of showing us what really matters in fact, if you were to show me your calendar, I would tell you what really matters to you. I could tell you by how you spend your time what you really value. Now that might be convicting for some of us because as you look at how you spend your time and how you spend your week and what is your, what is your daily rhythm of time and how you spend it, that can be very convicting because we can quickly realize, oh my gosh, am I actually spending my life, am I actually spending my time on what really matters. Can I tell you that there's a lot of things that when we pass from this life to the next, there's a lot of things that will fade away. There's a lot of things that won't last beyond this life, but the things that actually do last, the things that are eternal, are people. They're moments. They're our relationship with God and they're our relationship with people. It's the way that we love and we're loved and the real relationships that we have with people and those sacred, holy moments. But it's not just about time because just like you could be here at church and you could be spending an hour or half of your time coming to church or you could go to a Bible study or you could go to work, you could actually be somewhere but yet not be present where you are. I could spend time with people, but not really have a real relationship or a real connection with somebody. So it's not just about time, it's actually about what I would call quality time. And I wanna give you a definition that I came up with. I took some definitions, put my own together for the sake of this message series. So here's what, here's what I believe is the way that we can have relationship is when we spend quality time with God 
and with each other. And quality time is this, time spent in giving another person one's undivided attention in order to have a real relationship. Man, we've gotten so good at multitasking, haven't we? For the sake of efficiency, for the sake of, man, I, I, I've got to get more done. I'm always behind. Uh, and so we multitask. I believe Martha was multitasking. I believe she was making all the preparations and she was trying to listen to Jesus at the same time. She's like, it's okay. You know, I don't, have, I don't have to sit at his feet like my sister Mary. That's her thing. But I'm going to make what I need to do. I'm going to do what I need to do, make the preparations that I need to make, and I'll listen to Jesus at the same time. But it wasn't quality time because it was divided time. And how much of us, we spend time together, but we're distracted. We're not really present in the moment, and because of it, we're missing the moments. I remember um, when I was a younger buck and a young dad, and uh, my middle son, Blake, he was around seven, maybe eight years old, and it was a Saturday morning, and my wife had some things she wanted me to get from the store. And so she gives me a list and, you know, I'm, I've got my ideas of things I need to do on Saturday morning or things I want to do. And so um, my mindset was I'm going to take this list. I'm going to run to the grocery store, get what I need, get out, come back. Well, I'm, uh, that's my mindset. I'm ready to run out the door. And as I'm heading out the door, my wife says, honey, why don't you bring one of the kids with you? And I'm like, oh, okay, I can do that. Which one of you rascals want to go know? <laughs> and I remember my son Blake was playing in the living room or something. I said, hey, Blake, you want to come with dad and um, go to the grocery store? It'll be really fun. And uh, so uh, he jumps in the car with me and, you know, and we have a good time in the car with listening to music or whatever. But I'm, I'm like, man, I'm not really there. My mind's in other places. I'm thinking about things that happened during the week. I'm thinking, we get to the grocery store and poor kid, I'm like running them ragged. I got get my cart and I'm like, you know, we're going to get in this place and get out. And I'm, you know, looking for the shortest line because that's just the way I roll. Um, and so I'm going through my list, getting all the stuff and I'm just about done. And inevitably I, I look in my cart and there's a jackfruit in there. And I'm like, Blake, where did this come from? He's like, I don't know. He always did that. Whenever you go to the grocery store, and he, he was just known for, he'd just throw stuff in when dad wasn't looking, hope he could just slip it on by, you know, some junk fruits, some junk cereal or whatever. But this one was interesting. You're like, what is this thing? It's a jackfruit, dad. It just sounded cool. I'm like, have you ever tried it? No, but it looked good. Anyway, I'm going through my list. I'm grabbing things and I'm in a hurry trying to get out. And I'm, I'm frustrated because I can't find the one thing on my list. Husbands, you feel me? Feel that pain? And I'm going aisle, aisle, I can't find it. And Blake's like, Dad, Dad. And he's pulling on my shirt. And I'm like, what, Blake? What, Blake? I'm looking at him. He's like, Dad, Dad. And he keeps pulling on my shirt. And he keeps, he's like, Dad. And I'm, finally, I turn, I'm like, what? What do you want? What is so important that you had to interrupt Dad? He's like, Dad, listen to my sneaker squeak. And I just looked at him and I'm like, really? Seriously? Until the Holy Spirit came on me and convicted me. And I realized that this was a moment that I could choose to be frustrated or I could choose to lean in to my son and have a moment with him. And I rubbed his little fuzzy hair and said, that's awesome, buddy. Let me hear it again. And he did it again for me. And, but something shifted in my heart, in my perspective in that moment. Can, can I tell you something? My son, Blake, is now 20 years old. He's a man. In fact, he's running around with a camera today, serving on our photography team. Can I tell you what I would give to go back and have more of those moments? And I wonder how many of those moments did I miss out on? because I wasn't in the moment with the people that mattered most. And I wonder how many times we miss out on moments because we're not present and we're not focused on the things that matter most 
and the, what matters most aren't things at all. It's people. It's being present with God and with people. And yet, we can miss what really matters. And so if we're not going to miss what really matters, and if we're actually going to have real relationships with God and, and others, there's a couple things that we have to do. The first one is this. You actually have to make room for what really matters. You notice that the most important things in life, they don't just happen. You actually have to make them happen. Like, you have to make room for it. Because here's the thing. You can live your life two different ways. And I believe firmly that most of us live life reactionary. Like, we live according to what happens to us. And oftentimes, you know, inevitably, we'll get, we'll get done, you know, with a service like this, and you'll be making small talk in the lobby with people, and you'll ask somebody, hey, how you doing? What are they going to say nine times out of ten? Oh, I'm doing good. Just busy. Just busy. Everybody's busy. What are we so busy doing? Like, seriously, we are living in the information age, in the industrial age, where we have more disposable time than the history of the world. It used to be that if you had to wash clothes, you actually had to go down to the river with a washboard and some soap, right? If you wanted to make ice cream, you got to go churn it with some salt, you know, and all this stuff. If, if you want to prepare food, you actually have to go butcher some chicken, act, cut its head off, bleed it out, pull the feathers out. Some of you are like, ooh, that's how we get chicken? Yes, that's how we get chicken. It doesn't just show up from heaven in chicken nuggets, people. But I'm wondering how many of our kids don't even know where does our food come from, right? I mean, if you wanted to heat up your house before you had to go in the woods, risk getting eaten by a grizzly bear just to chop, chop down a tree, to carry the wood back, put it in a stove, try to light it on fire. Now I just go up to my nice thermostat and put it exactly where I want it. We have all these things. In fact, there was a committee to the Senate in around 1967 that told the Senate's a subcommittee of the Senate that gave a report and said by the year 1985, because of all of these improvements to how we live, that the average American would only have to work 22 and a half hours a week, 27 weeks out of the year, because they said, we're going to just have all this free time because of all these inventions and, and technologies that are affording us all this free time, and yet we work more now than ever. And we are tired, we are frazzled, we are burnt out. Look at Luke chapter 10, verse 40. Uh, we just read it, but I want to read it to you in the Amplified Classic Version. Look at what it says. It says, but Martha, overly occupied and what? Too busy, was distracted. And how many of us? Our schedules are over full. We're too busy. We're running around doing all these things. And because of it, it's wearing us down to where we're so tired, we don't even have any emotional, relational energy to be present with people. So we distract ourselves. We binge watch Netflix with a cheap glass of wine, and we just disassociate with people and disconnect from actually spending time with what really matters. Now, I'm not anti-Netflix or movies or entertainment or sports or any of those things. I think the problem comes in when we stay, get trapped in this cycle. And here's what the cycle is, I believe. When you are over busy, you're stressed out. When you're stressed out, you get anxious. When you get anxious, all this, your adrenals, it makes you tired and you become overburdened. And then you distract yourselves from your too busy, too tired, overburdened lives to just stay afloat. And we stay stuck in the cycle of being over busy, which stresses us out, which makes us anxious. We can't sleep, so we got too much going on in our mind, so we're overtired, and then what do we do? All we have the energy for is just somebody just distract me from real life because I can't handle it. Corey Ten Boom would say this, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Think about it. Martha wasn't doing anything wrong. She was actually doing something good. She wasn't sinning. 
She was trying to be helpful. She was trying to do something good. But notice what Jesus says about Mary. He says that Mary has what? Chosen the better part. And by the way, it will not be taken from her. Man, you can make all the food you want. You could set up, you know, just this beautiful spread of food. You could be hospitable. But people aren't going to, they're not going to remember the food. What they're going to remember is the moment with you and with Jesus. Jesus is saying that you and I, we have a choice. You could either go on with your life and live reactionary, or you can live intentionally, where you actually control your life. You know that when, um, when we say, um, you know, I don't have time for that, you know what you're actually saying? I'm not in control of my life. My life is in control of me. I just got on the roller coaster, and I'm just going for a ride, and I don't know when it's going to stop. But when you make room, you become intentional about, I'm taking control of my life. I'm going to make room for what matters most. Some of you, that means you may look at your calendar. You may have to have some hard conversations about what you need to let go of, what you need to cut out of your life. And you may need to look at your calendar and say, man, I need to make some space in my life for my relationship with God and for other people. The second thing is this. You need to actually practice the presence of God. What do you mean by that, Pastor Lance? Well, there was an old monk named Brother Lawrence who wrote this amazing book called Practicing the Presence of God. And what he meant by that is none of us are wired to just like be with God. In fact, we're wired the opposite. We're, we're, We're to do for God. Do for God. Do, 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 do. Do you know that all God ever wanted was to just be with you? He just wants to be with you. He loved that Mary just wanted to be with him. He loved that she just sat at his feet and listened to what he was saying. How much different could our lives look if we actually took time to just be with God? No agenda. No, I got to do my devotional. I got to read my three chapters and get in my daily reading. Just be with God. Just be with him. Just sit with him like you would a friend and just talk to him. God, I'm really struggling today. All he ever wanted to do was be with you. That's why he sent his son, Jesus, to make a way to break down the walls of sin that separated you and him, to to break down the fear and the shame and the guilt that so often prevents us to having a real relationship with God because we constantly live in this state of a a cloud over me of sin that I'm not worthy and, and, and I feel guilty and I'm shameful because I know I'm not pleasing God. And Jesus is saying, no, you're allowing the enemy to pull you away from what matters most because Jesus made a way where there seemed to be no way and that way was that he came and he took on flesh and he lived a sinful life and he showed you and I the way in fact Jesus lifestyle shows us the way to have real relationships where he was constantly spending time with God intentionally sitting at his feet praying it said that he would withdraw from the crowds early in the morning to be with God and as he got filled up with the love and the power and the presence and the peace and the love and the joy of God He would go out and then he would meet and spend time with people. And and Jesus was always after the one. No matter how busy he was, no matter how the crowds followed him, when the one cried out for him, he stopped for the one. Zacchaeus, I see you. Come down. Let's spend time together. Let's hang out. Let's share a meal. Let's sit at the table together. I know you feel like you're not worthy but you are worthy because of what Jesus did on the cross. He paid the price of sin 
And you know, when he said, it is finished, he yelled it from the cross. It was a declaration to say, sin can no longer be your master. Sin, you are not a slave to sin anymore. Sin cannot keep you from me. In fact, in the moment that he said, it is finished, the Bible says that the veil separating the very presence of God, where God's presence was from ordinary sinners and common people, it was torn from top to bottom, symbolizing that Jesus opened up a new and living way for you and I to experience the presence and the power of God, to know him, to really know him. That's what this is about. This isn't about some kind of religion. It's about a real relationship with a real God who loves you. And he wasn't just willing to say it. He was willing to demonstrate it. God demonstrated his love for us through Jesus. We could be present with God. The last thing is that we need to be present with people. As we're present with God and as we spend time, quality time with him, quality time. Notice that Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. She was in his presence and, and she listened to what he was speaking to her taking it all in. What if you just, like Mary, started out your day where you just got on your knees, just sitting at the feet of Jesus right now? I'm just, we're just hanging out. I'm going to take my Bible, I'm going to open it up in front of me, and I'm going to read his words to me. And I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit, speak to me, God. Some of you, you got decisions, you, you got worries, you got cares, you got things that you're struggling with. If you actually practice the presence of God, man, he wants to speak things to you. He's got solutions to your problems. He's got wisdom for you. He's got healing for you. He's got joy for you. He's got life for you. He's got love that he wants to pour out. But we don't spend the quality time. We're skimming the Bible and we're skimming on our relationship with God. And because of it, we don't come to church full. We come empty. We come dragging in like, man, I just need my Jesus fix. Like some drug addict that needs another hit. Instead of sitting at the feet of Jesus, daily worshiping him, being with him. And as we do that, our heart for people changes. When you practice the presence of Jesus, now you can be more present with people because I actually have something to give you. I'm full so that the fullness of the presence of God in me, now it overflows to you and we can sit and I could be present with you. Man, what if we actually just started showing up for people? Like not just talk, not just text, not just send emails, but what if you actually sat down across from a real life person and looked them in the eye and listened to them say, hey, how are you doing? How's things going? How's your marriage? How's your relationship with God? What are you struggling with right now? What's the best thing that's in your life? What are you dreaming about? What do you feel like God is doing in your life? Where is he leading? What if we had real conversations like that? Could you imagine the connection, the heart to heart? Could you imagine how that could shape and change your life? Those are the moments that matter most. That's what really matters. Hebrews 10, 24 says, and let us consider how we may spur on one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Man, we are living in a day where we need encouragement. We need each other. We need real relationship. Our marriages need to be strong. Our families need to be strong. Our friendships need to be strong. But what hit me is that word consider. The word consider actually means, listen to this, watch this. To consider attentively, to fix one's eyes or mind upon. Wow. It means I don't have this thing out and I'm not checking my, a text I just got or looking at an email. I'm putting this thing away and I'm saying, man, I am here with you because I care about you. I love you. 
and you've got my undivided attention. That's real. That's real. I want to close with this story and then I asked Jess if she would play a final song of worship kind of like what we normally do, but I want to end the service with just giving you an opportunity to practice the presence of God. By just allowing the Holy Spirit to just minister to you. Just, just put away what, you, what plans you had after church. We'll get you out of here soon. But just put those away for a moment. The food will still be there. Trust me. But this moment may not. And this may be a moment where God touches your heart, strengthens you, that you could miss easily. I want to share with you a story. Many of you have seen The Wizard of Oz, and I remember growing up as a kid and just loving watching The Wizard of Oz, Wizard of Oz and I don't know why they played around Easter, and I just remember around Easter time they would play it. And one of my favorite parts is when it would go from black and white to color. I know some of you young people look at me like, black and white? Like, they actually had that? Yeah, they did. I remember the movie, but what was fascinating to me is I was reading this book by John Eldridge, one of my favorite books called Waking the Dead. And he was talking about the backstory to the Tin Man in the movie, which unless you read the book, you wouldn't know the backstory. But Frank, L. Frank Baum, who wrote the, the Wizard of Oz, he writes about the backstory to the Tin Man. And here's the backstory. Just like you all here, and all of us have a backstory. We have things about each other we don't know. And there's reasons why we are the way we are. And so you never judge anybody by, a, by its cover, right? And so here's the backstory of the Tin Man, and here's why I think this is important. You'll, you'll get it, I think. Is the Tin Man, he actually started out as a real man. And he was a woodsman, he was a carpenter. And he fell in love with this beautiful maiden. And their love was beautiful. Because of that love, he, he wanted to build her a cabin that they could get married and live together. And the wicked witch saw their love and she hated it. And because she hated it, she put a curse on the woodsman. And that curse made his ax slip as he was cutting wood and he cut off both his limbs. And she thought she got him. But he went to this tinsman who created metal arms for him and he it said that he became like a machine he was more powerful than ever he he had his love for the maiden still but now his arms didn't tire and so he could be more productive he could get more done and he could build even faster and bigger and better things and when the wicked witch realized she hadn't stopped him and stopped his love she put another spell on him and this time the axe slipped and it cut right through the middle of his body and it cut out his heart so he goes to the tinsman again and the tinsman builds him builds him a body of, of tin but the problem now is he lost his heart in the process his enemy took out his heart and he no longer had a love for the maiden and no longer a desire to build a cabin and get married but now he just became a machine a working machine. He worked away, built things, beautiful things, and was proud of his productivity and everything that he could build. There's an excerpt from the book I want to share with you that John Eldridge shares. I want you to listen to this and lean into this. Notice there was a man who was once real and alive and in love, but after a series of blows, his humanity was reduced to efficiency. He became a sort of machine, a hollow man. At first, he did not even notice, for his condition made him an excellent woodsman. As any person can become productive like a machine when he foregoes his heart. And notice also that it was the wicked witch who brought this disaster upon him. In Baum's mythic tale, he reminds us that the enemy knows how vital the heart is. And even if we do not, and all his forces of our enemy are fixed upon the heart's destruction. 
For it can, if he can disable or deaden your heart, then he has effectively foiled the plan of God, which was to create a world where love reigns. By taking out your heart, the enemy takes out you. And you are essential to God's story of love. And I share that because I wonder how many of us are here and you've been dealt some blows in life and you just like shove that down and you keep pushing through life and you keep busy, you keep working. Your life is so busy that you don't actually have time to stop and have real moments with other people, real relationship with God. And if we're not careful, if we don't actually stop and consider Am I really living for what matters? What happens over time is your heart, just like the Tin Man, it, it gets a little bit hardened. And eventually, if we don't care for it, it goes away. And we lose our heart for God and we lose our heart for people and we just become these productive machines of doing without ever being and whatever, without experiencing what really matters most in life. So I want you to close your eyes as we close. And a couple of things, maybe you're here today, you came with a friend and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've heard about him, but man, all your life, you've, you've worked to try to please people, to please God, please yourself. And you're here today, not by chance, not by accident, but by divine appointment. This is your moment. And the Holy Spirit is convicting you that you've tried to do life on your own, apart from God, but it's not working for you. It's just leaving you lonely, and in some cases in pain. Today, God gave me this message to speak to your heart and to say that he longs to have a real relationship with you but you have to be willing to invite him to have that relationship. So I wanna ask you if that's you and you're here, eyes are closed. This is personal between you and God, but it's a sign to him that you wanna have that relationship. Would you just put your hand up? Say, I wanna have a real relationship with God. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of hiding. I need to surrender my life to God. I wanna live my life for what really matters. God bless you, sir. Anyone else? God bless you. God bless you. Don't miss your moment. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. I see your hand back there. Bravest thing that you could do, man. I see your hand. Bless you. I see your hand, buddy. God bless you. Thank you for your courage. Now for the rest of us, I want to ask you who would be honest enough to say, Pastor Lance, man, this message spoke to my heart. That's me. I'm over busy. I'm tired. I'm anxious. I'm stressed out. Going, 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 but I'm not really spending time on things that matter most, and I want to change. If that's you, just slip your hand up. Hands all over. I'm raising my hand. Now, we're gonna close with the worship team leading us a song, but I want us to pray this prayer. If you, if you raised your hand to receive Jesus, I want all of us actually to pray this prayer. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for dying for me so that I can experience your love, so that I can experience your forgiveness. Would you forgive me of all my sin, wash me clean, make me new. I surrender my life, my time to you and ask that you would redeem it by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.